Good morning. There are some words in our culture that seem like they're just a little bit more difficult to use these days. Like sin. Sin's kind of a pesky word. We don't use it a whole lot anymore. And when someone does something wrong, you don't call them and say, Hey, you committed a sin. You just don't use that word. Or imagine if you're pulled over for speeding and, or something worse. The police don't use that word. You don't hear, you sinned. You hear, you broke the law or you violated something. Or if the IRS writes you a letter. You know, you can read the whole letter and you won't hear the word sin. You know, there will be a lot of words you don't understand, but that will be one that's not in there. And maybe it's because sin makes us think about God. Sin makes us think about judgment. Sin would mean that there has to be a moral absolute or absolutes out there. And I'm accountable. Or there might be a judgment and I would have to beg forgiveness. Or probably if there's such a thing as sin, there's a possibility that I could be punished, right? And in fact, the the dictionary supports this definition of sin. Here's what the dictionary says for the definition of sin. Sin is a transgression, and here it is, of divine law. A transgression of divine law. That's why the police doesn't tell you, you've sinned against me. It's a transgression of divine law, which means there's a divine person or God or something that has a law. Second definition is, any act regarded as such a transgression, especially, here it is, a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. So not only does sin mean you did it against God, sin means you did it on purpose. Sin means it was willful. You know, I planned this and I did this. Sin means I knew it was wrong when I did it, and that doesn't make me feel very good about myself. In fact, if I have sins, and they begin to add up, then after a while, I sort of begin to think I'm a bad person. And that's unpleasant. So maybe I'd just rather not use that word. And instead, we like this word. Mistake. I just made a mistake. It was a mistake that I made. In fact, let me read you the definition of a mistake. A mistake, you got to love this, is an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. Sounds a lot more forgiving, doesn't it? Oh, I just wasn't thinking straight. Or, oh, I didn't see that. You know, I was just careless, or I was just ignorant, or I didn't know any better. It's a whole lot better word than sin, because when you catch me, I can say, my bad, I made a mistake. And then if you can kind of get a little forceful with me, if, or, you know, it's almost like, you know, why are you getting on to me? Okay, okay, I made a mistake. Is that the end of the world? 
Try that one, right? Or I made a mistake. Nobody's perfect. Haven't you ever made a mistake? We all make mistakes. And the assumption is, you can't be too mad at me. Because it was a mistake. I didn't know any better. I wasn't paying close enough attention. Sorry. Okay, I didn't know everything I needed to know. It was a mistake. Whole lot better word for our culture, right? So that's the one our culture uses. But there's a big difference between mistake and sin. Because this is God, you know. God and sin. And if it's sin, you might need to be punished for something. And you're accountable for what you've done. There's a big, big difference between sin and a mistake. Mistake, I don't really have to ask you to forgive me or do anything to, to make, you know, recompense. I can just say, I'm sorry, okay, can we just move on? I made a mistake. But sin, that's different. And this is precisely where the twist comes. Because if everything that I do wrong can be whittled down to where it's just a mistake, then all that makes me is a mistaker. Which is better than being a sinner. And if I'm not a sinner, that means I don't have sin. And if I don't have sin, that means I don't have any need for a Savior. Or to, to make due to anybody else for anything I've done wrong. Because you see, if you're just a mistaker then all you have to do is do better. Right? Mistakers just have to try harder. Mistakers just have to maybe break those little nasty habits. Mistakers just have to be more consistent. Mistakers just have... I just need to try harder next time. Right? I made a mistake. But if I'm a sinner, that seems to be more fundamental about my nature and who I am. If I'm a sinner, then simply trying harder isn't going to get it done. Because if I'm a sinner, then I probably owe somebody something. I probably deserve something I don't even really want to know that whole, much, whole, whole lot about. I, if I'm a sinner, I'm in need of a Savior. So the twist that we live with in our culture, in our world, with the issues that we deal with when it comes to guilt is that I don't want to have sin. I'd rather just make mistakes, which makes me a mistaker, which means I just need to do a little bit better next time. And the problem is, we know better. We know ourselves. I may be able to convince you that, okay, I made a mistake, let's get over with it and move on. I may be able to convince you that it's a mistake, but the truth is, when the light's off, when the television's off, when the music's off, or when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, we know better. And a lot of times you know that wasn't unintentional. You did that on purpose. You just didn't think you'd get caught. Not only did you do it on purpose, but you've done it before. And not only have you done it before, but you're hoping you can do it again. And the only problem was that somebody brought it to your attention. 
there's something else that makes this hard for us to hide. There's all this internal stuff because mistakes are what you do on the outside world, but what about what's happening in my heart? What about all the jealousy that I deal with on the inside? What about, you know, all that gross stuff that's inside me that nobody knows about? Carrying around in the pit of our stomach this this deep, dark thing that we don't have any other word for but guilt. Maybe we can tell somebody else, I made a mistake, but on the inside, that sure feels real. And I may be able to convince you that I'm not guilty, but I sure feel something inside of me. And if I'm a mistaker that just makes mistakes, then why do I feel so bad? And why is it that because of this deep, dark thing that I call guilt, why is it I feel the need to pay people back or or make it right? After all, if it was just a mistake, there shouldn't be any of that. But it's not just a mistake. And there is all that stuff that we deal with. And here's why. Because culture may give you the permission to say that you're just a mistaker who makes mistakes. But if you're honest with yourself, you know it's deeper than that. Because you're a sinner who sins. Now if all of that wasn't enough, Jesus comes along and sort of whacks the hornet's nest in Scripture whenever He preaches, right? He just takes issues like this head on. And He comes along and He basically makes us feel maybe even a little bit worse about all of it. He raises the bar. He comes into an environment where everybody has sort of whittled down God's law into a set of rules and lines you're not supposed to cross. Here's how Jesus said it. You know, this is extreme. Matthew chapter 5. Jumping in at verse 17. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' famous sermon. This is at the beginning of His ministry, right as He was starting out. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe if I was starting out, I would have saved this, right? Maybe start off with something a little bit lighter. But He started by telling everybody how righteous God is and how unrighteous they are. And... um, And I'm kind of thinking, who would stay for the rest of this sermon? But they did. And here's what he says in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So, he's establishing right at the beginning, okay, everything we've all known about what God says is good and wholesome and what's not good, that's all still kind of true. So skip, it, skip down to verse 19. He says, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments, he's talking about the Old Testament, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter The kingdom of heaven. Well, if I'm an average guy or an average gal listening to that, I think, well, game over. I mean, how am I ever going to get to heaven? I I don't have enough time to be that good. I have to work. I mean, I have to go clean stalls, or I'm a shepherd, or I'm elbow deep in stuff, you know, and 
I serve food. Jesus, if my righteousness has to surpass their righteousness, and that's all they do with their lives, then there's going to be no place for me in the kingdom of heaven. I'm never going to be that good. But check this out, verse 21. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Remember, that's Old Testament. Do not murder. Right? And they, they knew that one. We know that one too, right? Thou shalt not murder. Ten Commandments. Jesus says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Pretty extreme. I mean, wait a minute. How about we take a time out, Jesus? You're equating actually snuffing out someone's life with just thinking about murdering them? You're saying that actually murdering, that's a sin. Well, we've got, we're with you there. But you're saying, even if I imagine it, even if I'm angry enough to do it, but I don't want to get caught, or if for some other reason I don't pull the trigger on that, but my anger towards somebody makes me automatically guilty, makes me a sinner. I don't even have to do anything. I can be... Guilty before God? And Jesus is saying, oh yeah. You'll be judged for your anger. But I didn't even do anything. I mean, I just thought about something. I just imagined something. And Jesus says, oh yeah. Because you see, the, the bar is higher than you thought it was. And while they're thinking about that, he just keeps going. Verse 27. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And they're probably thinking, yeah, that's wrong. We agree. Verse 28. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And maybe there were some folks that were thinking, all right, that's enough. I'm, I'm out. I can't, I mean, you just called us all, well, maybe not me personally, they would say, but my friends, you just called all my friends adulterers. Right? I mean, come on, Jesus. I get, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's something you do. But you're saying, if I've even thought about it, imagined it, looked at a woman with a little bit of lust, that... I'm guilty of a sin. We're guilty of a sin. We're all guilty of committing adultery. I mean, do you realize how broad that is? Are we supposed to take this seriously? I mean, who can be that good? I mean, what red-blooded man can live his whole life and never look at a woman lustfully? I mean, if that's the standard, and if that's what it takes to get into heaven, then nobody's going to get into heaven. God will be in heaven all by Himself because nobody's that good. That's what it takes to be righteous. And Jesus says, maybe with a smile on His face, if that's what they're thinking, yes, the bar is higher than you thought. Because maybe you came to this sermon thinking that you're just mistakers who make mistakes, who need to do better. 
And I'm here to convince you that you are sinners who sin. And there's no hope for you if it depends on your efforts and righteousness alone. Now here's the amazing thing. Throughout the Gospels, the people who were the most convinced that they fell into this category of sinners were the ones who flocked to Jesus to spend time with Him, to listen to Him preach, to be a part of His ministry. They loved Him. They were nothing like Him, and they loved Him. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the men and women who were condemned by society as being outright sinners, they loved to be with Jesus. Mainly because He had a couple of messages. Message number one, you're a sinner and you're in trouble. Message number two, God loves sinners and He sent a Savior on their behalf. Message number one, you are hopelessly lost. Message number two, God has sent me to rescue you. That was the message. This is the message. Until you embrace the fact that you yourself are a sinner, you're not open to embracing the fact that God has sent you a Savior. As long as you're only a mistaker who makes mistakes, you're going to miss what's really happening to you and to the world around you. But if you finally come to the grips with the fact that no, you simply don't do all those things only on accident or only just because of a little bit of carelessness or only just because you're not trying hard enough, that there's something fundamentally wrong with you and with me and with all of the rest of us. He says, until you embrace that fact that you're a sinner, you will never be able to embrace your need for the Savior. And so Jesus comes on the scene and He's preaching this sermon and He's basically saying, it's worse than you thought it was. You're worse than you thought you were. The standards are higher than you thought they were. And nobody's going to get in on their own merit, on their own righteousness, because God is far more righteous than you gave Him credit originally. Mistakers, they don't run to God. They run away. As long as it's just a mistake, they don't need God. They don't need church. Okay, just give me a little bit of time, I'll do better. I'll do better. But the message of Jesus was this. The best thing you can do is acknowledge your sin. Because that's as close as you'll ever get to needing what you need the most. And that's a Savior. I mean, think about maybe the most breathtaking story in all of the Gospels that Jesus tells. And it's it's my favorite story. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son, son who squanders his father's wealth off in the foreign land. And all of a sudden he he comes home. 
How does the father respond? You know, the father responds to his servants, quick, go get the best robe and put it on. Right? You know that line? Quick. Why so quick? Why shouldn't we, you know, wouldn't it be wise to maybe let them grovel a little bit? I mean, no, he says quick. I want him restored as quickly as possible. Now that he's recognized he's a sinner, I want to get on with this thing. Quick. Get the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger. Really? A ring? I mean, he'd be able to speak on your behalf. You're reestablishing his sonship. Absolutely I am. But look at what he's done. Father says it doesn't matter. He's back. But doesn't he owe you? No. And put sandals on his feet because he's not a servant. Verse 24, Luke 15. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He's alive? I mean, all he did was just come back and say, I'm a sinner and beg for forgiveness. And the father says, that's exactly right. That's what I was waiting for. He was lost and now he's found. And so then they began... To celebrate. The moral of the story. The sooner that you and I embrace our sinfulness. Our weakness. Our humanity. The sooner you and I are candidates for God's grace. That's how it works. The sooner you and I do that. The sooner we have an opportunity To become close to our Savior. The sooner we see our misdeeds as sin. The sooner we are. The closer we are. To knowing what it feels like. To be forgiven. And years later. Paul said it this way. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23. For all have sinned. And fall short. Of the glory of God. That is we fall short. Of the standard of God. That is, we all fall short of the righteousness of God. It's basically saying what Jesus said. That you may think you're good or okay, but you're not that good. You're not nearly as good as God. Who would, I mean, just, you would not be able to go peer to peer, eye to eye with God on righteousness. You just wouldn't be able to. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And you would expect the next verse to say. And boy is God angry about it. And God is going to make you pay. And God is going to come after you. And just picture some lightning bolts. Because they're coming buddy. But that's not what he says next. Here's what Paul says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely. Freely. That's huge. Because you see, as long as you're a mistaker making mistakes, maybe you feel like you can make up for them. But when it becomes sin, you know that there's a debt that you owe. You know that there's restitution that needs to be made. You know there's some sacrifice you need to make, something. And the good news, according to the Apostle Paul, is that For all have sinned and are made right with God. And that's what it means to be justified. It means to be made right. 
All are made right with God. And that key word, freely. You don't have to pay for it. The price was already paid on your behalf. You don't have to make up for what you did wrong. The justification, the grace, the forgiveness, it's offered freely. And the debt that we owed, you owed so much you couldn't pay it. You wouldn't have been able to pay it. And that's why Jesus paid it for you. Because it was too much for all of us to bear. So somebody else had to pay it. All have sinned and are, have fallen short of the glory of God and all are made right with God. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood, which is just a fancy way of saying that God paid the debt and you don't owe anything on that debt anymore. And the sooner that you embrace that, the sooner that you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, the sooner you're able to experience forgiveness. So here's my question for you this morning. Has there ever been a time in your life as an adult that you said to God, God, this isn't an accidental mistake that keeps happening again and again. That's an excuse That's been my cover-up. That's a rationalization. Has there ever been a time where you've said, God, I have sinned, and beyond just sinned, I am a sinner. And I don't need a second chance. I don't need to just reboot and restart and try harder. I need a Savior. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever gone to God and recognized your brokenness and allowed Him to heal you through faith in Him, through confessing His name, through being baptized? Have you ever done that? And if not, I offer you a chance to do it today. It's why we have an invitation. If you feel the need to respond, if you want to make that declaration before God and before others who are here this morning, you're welcome to come right now while we stand and while we sing.